Hello and welcome to episode 133 of the Nessie Attack Podcast. My name is Joe. With me as always is Mitch. G'day. And we are continuing our A to Z and we're, we're getting closer to the end. We've made it to the letter T. So this episode we are going to be looking at a little cartoon from the early 80s called Thunder the Barbarian. So I can remember back in the 80s, so this came out originally in 1980, ran for two seasons. And I loved this cartoon when I was a kid. We were just talking off air that you don't really have as much of a connection with the show as I do. And I think that's probably that sort of three-year age difference between us coming into effect. Yep. Like, I remember it. I, I If you said the name Thunder the Barbarian, I'd be like, yeah, I, I remember that. It's like a He-Man guy. But yeah, I couldn't tell you much about it because I, I, I remember back in that era, it was the pre-He-Man stuff. So it was sort of the Hanna-Barbera era. That's what I would call it. Yeah. So everything sort of looked the same to me. Like He-Man just stood out. Maybe I just was old enough and had the toys. So therefore I could associate it with something else where those cartoons, there was, you know, Blackstar and the Tarzan cartoon and all that sort of stuff, the Devlins. There was a lot of Hanna-Barbera stuff, but I didn't remember what any specifics about the characters. The Herculoids, which was a good, you know, not 10 years earlier, but within a decade of that. Yep. So there were all these earlier cartoons that I do remember and Space Ghost and stuff. So it's just all goes into one yep. and Thunder didn't resonate with me as far as knowing those characters. Hmm. Well, it does have a bit of connection that you mentioned Herculoids because uh, one of the artists that came up with the idea idea for some of the character design of the Herculoids, Alex Toth, actually did some production and character design for the three main characters in Thunder as well. So there is that sort of connection with with that. And a lot of people do sort of look at this and go, oh, it's just a, a He-Man ripoff. But it was, what, three and a half, four years before He-Man actually came out. Yes. And kind of, it, it is the precursor to He-Man. Yes, very much so. I don't know how much influence it had on the actual creation of He-Man, but there is a lot of similarities between Thunder himself and He-Man, the character. But I guess it's one of those things. It is a kind of generic good guy with a bob haircut. So you could say that, you know, there's a lot of characters that look a lot like He-Man. But this in itself was also very derivative of a lot of things because, I mean, all right, Thunder the Barbarian is the plot for the show. It's set in the year 3994. It's on Earth after a cataclysmic, a planet went through the orbit of Earth and the moon, broke the moon in half and pretty much destroyed the world. So it's 2,000 years in the future. That happened in 1994. I know. And I look at it watching the start again now and I think, yeah, I remember 1994. I don't remember any one of the runaway planets or anything like that happening. It was still the time of the guru for me, but yeah. So... It's it's just in a world where there is sorcery, there is technology, which is very much like He-Man. So there's magic and technology. Yep. And I've only watched three episodes that I could find. I didn't really get the origin of them. But yeah, Thunder is, as the name says, a barbarian with his sun sword, which is he keeps sort of magnetized to his gauntlet or his wrist guard. Yep. And he, he opens it up and it sort of shoots out like a lightsaber, basically. And this isn't just the, a year and a half after Star Wars at all. Not at all. No. 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 There's definitely a lot of Star Wars influence in it. Oh, yeah. So so he is Thunder the Barbarian. He's sort of a not the smartest guy. He's very Conan, which He-Man is based on as well. He's not yep. stupid, but he's not smart. So they're him. He gets around on his horse with his friend Ukla. Ukla is a mock. He's Chewbacca, basically. And that was... Definitely Chewbacca. No, yeah. well, he was directed by the um, studio. 
the the TV company said we want a Chewbacca character in there. So he is essentially a Wookiee, but he's sort of a lion faced giant strong person which growls. So essentially Chewbacca with a lion face is what he is. Yep. And the last one is Princess Ariola. Sorry, Ariel. <laughs> <laughs> and she is a sorceress or a, a, a wizard of sorts. She's a magic user. Yeah. Yep. And they get around on horseback and they just sort of turn up in random places around America mostly, but the world. And it's in the future. So they're in Manhattan, which is Manhattan at one point, and they go in subways. And it's all this dystopian sort of version of, of America. Or the world. Yep. And it's kind of cool. Like the way they set it up. It's very Planet of the Apes in that way. Very Planet of the Apes, actually, in one episode. Yeah. Well, obviously, Planet of the Apes was, what was that, late 60s, early 70s? Mm-hmm. So I think you can see there is that influence coming through as well. There's a couple of interesting stories in relation to how they created the characters and what, what they did. As you said, the production company decided that they needed to have this Chewbacca type character. And originally, the guy that created it is a guy called Steve Gerber who is quite famous as a, a comic artist, amongst other things. But apparently they'd, they'd made this new character and they weren't sure what to call it. And they just happened to be hanging around in, in California near UCLA. And then they decided that based on that, they should call him Ookla, because that's kind of like how you would say UCLA if you weren't saying the the initials. But yeah, I think that's kind of cool. Can we just go back to Steve Gerber for a bit, please? Yes. It's not just a guy, all right? He he did create Howard the Duck. Yes, he, he did. He did a definitive run on Man-Thing. He, he's quite important. Uh, he's unfortunately passed away now, but he's also one of the, he was one of the It guys. He created Omega the Unknown and a bunch of other things for Marvel, and he worked for DC as well. But he also was one of the ones that took Marvel to court for creator rights issues because he created Howard the Duck and essentially got not much for it and took Marvel to court to say, no, this is my character. I have the rights. And they're going, no. And pretty much the court case came out in Marvel's favor saying, no, you will work for hire. You you were paid okay. to do and you don't have much of a rights, but I know two of the great comic creators and designers in Jack Kirby and Alex Toth worked on this show. And back in 1982, I think it was, Steve Gerber and Jack Kirby actually did a, a comic called Destroy a Duck, which was like a five-issue miniseries to raise funds for this court case. Okay. Yeah, so he's quite important in the history of comics and from all reports a bit of a dick like he got screwed over by marvel but i think he screwed himself over at the best of times as well he was because howard the duck was a breakout character that was huge and did really well and they wanted him to do that and they wanted to syndicate into a cartoon strip for the newspapers and he was going to do that too but he just was running behind and newspapers were just going if you can't do it on time we got to drop it it's just we can't okay. have this and he sort of screwed the pooch in himself in that way and there was also another day he was going to get another gig i think it was for another TV show he was going to work on but instead he went to the last day of filming for the Howard the Duck movie and missed out on the gig so they go well if you're not that reliable you don't get this gig as well so he, he, he definitely works steadily and I don't think he would have been without work or pay I don't think he lived destitute but unfortunately yeah he did pass away early 2000s but yeah um, he is quite important in the comic industry let alone he obviously had a decent gig in the animation as well so part of the other production of the show itself it's quite famous as being a Ruby Spears production rather than a Hanna-Barbera. But the the whole story of Ruby Spears is quite an interesting one as well because they are two guys that originally worked for Hanna-Barbera as, I think they were sound editors. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's Joe Ruby and Ken Spears. And they were 
promoted, I guess you'd say, by Hanna-Barbera to create a new mystery-themed show. And they were the ones that actually created Scooby-Doo. Yeah. But they sort of had trouble with the whole idea of going from just being editors to being, you know, creators of a program. And it didn't quite work out for them. So they left Hanna-Barbera and formed Ruby Spears Productions. And Ruby Spears has got a history a mile long of like good cartoons that they did sort of in the early 80s. But they themselves actually cite Thundar as being their favourite of all the cartoons they did. If you look at the the characters or the or the shows that they've created, so they did the, the Plastic Man adventure show, which I can remember seeing a little bit of when we were kids. They also did one of the runs of Alvin and the Chipmunks. They were the production company behind that. They did the Mr. T cartoon and something else we've talked about on this podcast as well. They did the Centurions cartoon that we did way back in episode C for this year. Mm-hmm. But they also did uh, the Mork and Mindy and Laverne and Shirley, which we talked about the spin-off cartoons in previous episodes as well. Not only that, and they also got in early on the whole adaptions of the computer game in industry which was going on and they did the Saturday Supercade which had Frogger, Donkey Kong, Pitfall, Cubit, Donkey Kong and Space Ace. Oh yeah. But they, you know, they they seem to cash in on a lot of popular things. Like they also did Laser Tag Academy in 86 so they sort of seem to get in on board what's what's popular and sort of do a cartoon about it they did the rambo and the force of freedom and the chuck norris karate commandos and the police academy tv series so they definitely did the tie-ins i do have a a dvd of their superman run that they did in the late 80s which i don't remember ever getting that here as a tv show on on the tv here but yeah (laughs) it's actually not bad the most the last things they did was the sky surfer strike force and the mega man cartoons and i vaguely remember the Wild West Cowboys of the Moo Mesa, which was the <laughs> basically everything after Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, there was your Street Sharks and everything. Yep. Biker Mice from Mars was just this whole rip-off, rip-off, rip-off. Yep. For yeah. me, like, I remember a lot of these. Yeah, I think early 80s, you, when you think cartoons, you think Ruby Spears and you think Hanna-Barbera. Yeah, well, I would have said Hanna-Barbera not knowing that a lot of them were Ruby Spears, but yeah, i got fond memories of Mr. T and all that sort of stuff. And the animation was on par with it, maybe if, if not a little bit better. But yeah, and then it comes down to after that, like, what I think was good. And I looked at the, um, looking at the Thunder the Barbarian, I thought it was very good but i've been watching a bit of master of the universe lately especially the new stuff and i've actually gone back my daughter actually wanted to watch some of the old stuff so i watched it and it's cleaner nicer they did yeah. they reused the rotoscope and everything but it's really clean rotoscope work which they pioneered or not not so much pioneered they used that back in snow white and the seven dwarfs but you know you looked at the hanna-barbera stuff with yogi bear and droopy the dog and all that sort of stuff and very minimal animation very angular lines and all the characters have got collars even though they don't wear pants or tops, but they have collars and ties because it's easier to animate the neck and the head by not moving the face, by not having to animate the neck. That's yep. why you notice all those characters have that. So it's all very basic, cheap animation, and that's what they learned in the 60s with Hanna-Barbera. How can we make this cheap as possible? Yeah, there's a lot of just walking across the screen with a moving background sort of thing, whereas Filmation and He-Man, they, they kind of gave it a bit more depth. Well, they used the rotoscope and they reused a lot of things, but it worked really well. They were efficient with it, and that's what they did in Thunder the Barbarian. The fact that they had Alex Toth and Jack Kirby doing a lot of the the concept work, there was something to work with. And that's what 
what works. So I, w- I watched three episodes of this and the character design was pretty cool because that's something I found with watching Master Universe, the original He-Man, is the designs of the toys were awesome and those characters translated the cartoon really, really well. But whenever they had a villain of the week that wasn't a toy, the design of them were really nothing. Yeah. There was no innovation. There was nothing exciting about them whatsoever. And that's what I found. And this is the beauty of having someone like a Alex Toth who, you know, he's the guy who invented Space Ghost and those sort of characters. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, he, he just does amazing design work, character design. I forget the exact quote, but it's something like, you know, reduce, to come up with a great design for a character, reduce it to a spare minimum and draw the shit out of it. And it's that sort of basic that it's sort of like, it's, it is simple, but it works. And yeah, so they did actually rotoscope people on horses and things like that to get the animation right. And they reused that a lot, like they did in He-Man. But this is a couple of years before He-Man. So, you know, they probably learned from that. Yeah, I, I really dug it for what it was. So I caught three episodes. They are on YouTube. Oh, where do I watch them? On Facebook. If you go Googling Thunder the Barbarian and videos, and they're in a um, a vintage cartoon group on Facebook or something, that's where I saw it. But yeah, it was kind of cool. They are, you can actually, you can purchase the season on Amazon for about four or five bucks, but they are on a couple of the streaming cartoon sites. Kiss Cartoon was where I watched a few episodes. And I think they have all of the two seasons. I think there was... 21 episodes all up over the two seasons so 13 episodes in the first season and then eight episodes in the second season so it it wasn't a a flop as such but it wasn't as successful as it probably could have been and i think they put that down to a little bit of the fact that it was more adult themed like it wasn't an adult cartoon by any stretch but it was probably a little bit more adulty than a lot of the other cartoons that were around at the time interesting we talk about how they went on ruby spears went on to make the more Mindy cartoon but the reason why they only did two seasons of Thunder was because the TV network that it was on I think it was ABC in the states that it was on decided that they needed to bump Thunder the Barbarian so they could put the Laverne and Shirley join the army cartoon on in its place on Saturday mornings and then that didn't rate nearly as well as Thunder had been and also there is a doco out there if you google in Lords of Light it's a little 20 minute documentary about the cartoon and they do talk to Ruby and Spears and a few other people involved and there was a like a um, scholar in storytelling and he's talking about how the stories are actually really good for animated shows of the era it's actually very good and they, they were sort of hard sci- science fiction stories like conceptually they were good and as one of the guys i forget which one ruby or spears basically said he didn't want to talk down to kids he wanted to talk up kids look up they want to go up yep. and that's what they did they tried to tell some science fiction stories and they were good like the three i saw really held up like i've gone back and watched a lot of he-man and it doesn't like it's it's it is aimed at kids and it's got the moral at the end and all that sort of stuff but this doesn't you sort of just jump in at the start and they come across this weird science fictional idea maybe and they're just in it and then they go and at the end of it they're out and they move on and it's very Conan in that way that it's just adventures you know this barbarian having an adventure moving on to the next one and uh, as an exploration of ideas and as you said you know kids are looking up so they never dumbed it down in any way shape or form it's, it, it was a Saturday morning cartoon but they said one of the reasons it wasn't ratings that they got cancelled but they just thought it was a bit too violent and when they say violent okay. it, was, it was a Saturday morning kids cartoon it wasn't that bad the Uluk Ukla 
he just basically ripped up a tree and hit people with it. He used his sword to deflect beams. You know, they, they, they didn't do a lot, you know, but it was no. of the time. Yeah, I, I get it. In the same way, He-Man was never violent. He had this big fuck-off sword, never used it as a sword once. You know, that that that's what you get with kids' cartoons. But yeah, I, I was just yeah, exactly. I was surprised because I watched it and it's like, damn, there's only three. I would watch more. One of the concepts in it that I really like is the fact that obviously they're set so far into the future in this like, way post-apocalyptic world, but as you said, it's, it's got that sort of tinges of Planet of the Apes in the fact that there is still things from back in the 90s when it was allegedly set, when the apocalypse happened. But they kind of tie it in in the fact that Princess Ariel is a bit of a scholar and she's she's learnt from the libraries of the time in the 20th century. And occasionally they will come up with things like they'll, they'll go somewhere and there's a cinema and she'll make reference to the fact that a cinema was a place where people of old used to go and watch moving pictures on a big screen and stuff. And I just like the fact that they kind of tie that in. Yeah, well, because they were in the subway and there was a movie poster in the subway. And it was yeah. for Jaws 19 or Jaws 9. I can't remember. Yeah. But yeah, I, I just like that sort of little touch to it. It wasn't just here we are in the future and there's no remnants sort of thing. It's pretty impressive to think that they are a set in 3994 and there's still buildings that were around in 1994 that are still standing. But That's true. that aside. <laughs> and not only were they ripping off Star Wars with Chewbacca and, and as lightsaber. There was a bit where they came across, you know, they were fighting a wizard. So all the wizards seemed to be the bad guys whenever they came across anything. But yeah, yeah. there was the wizard who animated the Statue of Liberty and they had to fight the Statue of Liberty. Mm. Yeah, so that was post Planet of the Apes, but pre-Ghostbusters 2. Mm. Maybe it was a bit of an inspiration for Ghostbusters 2. It does have some pretty big-name people doing the voices for it. So Robert Ridgely is the voice of Thundar himself, and he's had a few bit parts in some movies. He was in Blazing Saddles as one of the minor characters. He was also in Beverly Hills Cop 2. And he went on to do other voice acting as well. And he was the voice of Rex Charger in the Centurions cartoon. And he was Gen- General Thunderbolt Ross in the Incredible Hulk cartoons as well. Well, not, he was in High Anxiety, so that's obviously where he met Mel Brooks. And yep. then he was the hangman in Blazing Saddles. And then he was in Robin Hood Men in Tights as the hangman. So I guess they brought him back to reprise a role similar that he did in Blazing Saddles. Okay. Bit of an in-joke for anyone who knew. But yeah, I did not know that before I read this. Yeah. And the voice of Ookla, not that he really says a lot, is a guy called Henry Corden, who's probably his big claim to fame is he went on to take over the role of Fred Flintstone when the original actor that was doing Fred's died so he became fred flintstone later in his career but again he's got quite a list of voiceover work and lots of other movie roles as well yep so but, but, but being an animated show of the last 50 years there's one name that's not there no frank welker <laughs> and no don messick either yeah which is like wow how did they not get a gig they're in everything but we do have oppenheimer so skeletor is in there as a role but yeah just not a regular role but he got a gig no Mm, but there's an narrator of the show, and that was Dick or Tuffield, and he is most famously known as being the voice of Robin, uh, the robot from Lost in Space, the Danger Will Robinson dude. Okay. Uh, yes, so- uh, and there's one other actor that's in there, uh, actress, who I was excited when I saw the name, and that was Nancy McKeon. Yes, I saw that on the wiki as well, so from yes. Facts of Life. Yes, Joe from Facts of Life, and... One of my, I, I, I'm going to say it's one of my favourite subgenres of film, but I love so many subgenres of film, is the summer camp movie. 
I do love my meatballs, I think is what got me started on that. And then summer camp movies after that, even up to including Friday the 13th. But I do love it. And there was one with Michael J. Fox and Nancy McKeon called Poison Ivy, which I have fond memories of watching a few times. And I had the biggest crush on, on Joe. Everyone liked Blair, but I like Joe. I like no, it's it. Nancy McKeon was always my favourite of the uh, the Facts oh, of Life girls as well. Well, we'll have to fight over them. Okay. She actually <laughs> turned up in a show I was watching fairly recently. There was a show that was on Amazon called Panic, and she turns up as one of the characters' mums in Panic. And I was like, gee, she looks familiar. And then I saw the credits at the end, and I was like, oh, it is Nancy McCann. So, yeah, she's gone from playing the, the teenager in her early career to playing teenagers' mums in teenage dramas now. So, yeah, going back to, to Thunder itself, as, as you said, like watching the episodes now, I I've, can remember watching it a lot back on Saturday mornings. I think it was Channel 10 had it for a little while back when I was a kid. And I quite liked it. I thought it was a clever cartoon. And watching it again now, it, it is. It, it holds up. As you said, some episodes of He-Man, the original Master of the Universe from the 80s, don't hold up. This, I think, does. But they never had a toy line at the time. So it didn't have that sort of tie-in because I think He-Man's quite famous for being the first cartoon that was based off a toys that opened Uh, I think so because under Reagan there was some change in the rules and I've heard it so many times that I tune out and I don't actually understand but it was something about they were only allowed to do so much commercial advertising in it or or animation wise you could only advertise toys with so much otherwise it was too much like a show therefore kids don't know the difference between advertising blah 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 and either the rules relaxed or they changed it and that's essentially where transformers and gi joe and all that got around it by becoming a essentially half hour commercials before that they couldn't so yeah thunder essentially would have been before it and he-man would have been after because yeah there was no toy tie-ins or anything like that for the for this era there has been toys since and I yep. did go looking at them and they're really nice in the same way that when we looked up Herculoids, I found the toys and really wanted them. And being over 10 years old and pricey, I'm not going to get them, unfortunately, because I wouldn't mind a nuclear. They, they released a series in 2003, which was a really nice set of figures. But yeah, unfortunately. So, yes. But if anyone's got a million dollars who's a listener and wants to buy them for me, that'd be great. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. It's funny, though, because it's something that. Obviously, people still do remember because it gets referenced every now and then in in other things. And there's even a band that I tried to listen to a couple of their tracks on Spotify earlier before we recorded called Ookla the Mock. But uh, I, I don't know. I don't know if I'll put one of their songs on the end of the episode or no not. Good. But uh, yeah, I, I wasn't my sort of stuff. It was like geeky pop music. Yeah. So I guess it should be my sort of stuff. They're a Filk band, aren't they? So what's Filk? Filk is pretentious wank. No, Filk is comes from... <laughs> As, as if new listeners may not know, but I, I, I used to go to my science fiction conventions and things like that. You know, not your big pop culture conventions like Supernovas or Comic-Cons. These are more three days in a hotel with multiple hours of streaming with you know, a couple of hundred people, authors as guests generally, things like that. And there's a lot of fan-run community stuff going on. You know, the guests aren't the main point. It's all about the community side of things. And... Filking was a mis- a misspelling of folk music in a program item back in the 60s. And okay. fans being wanky fans, it became a thing. So it's you're singing a song, but you're changing the lyrics. So essentially what, you know, Widow Yankovic does. Star, yep. Star Trekking is probably most the famous Filk song out there. 
where someone's gone and made either it's an original song, but it's geek-based, or they'll take a popular song and turn it geeky. So, you know, there's Party in the USA, but Party in the CIA, someone's done, you know, based on Miley Cyrus or something. That that would okay. be a filk song. And, and it's just wanky. It's just fanish. Fandom sucks. All right. So it's probably what caused Nerdcore. So the nerd rap hip hop probably would never have happened if Filk happened. So pretty much. Yeah. Preemptive, yeah. All right. So we can blame Filk for that as well then. Yeah, fuck Filk. <laughs> <laughs> all right. That's probably all we can really say about Thunder the Barbarian. So as I said, if you if you are interested in checking it out and you've never seen it, there are clips on YouTube. There's a couple of full episodes, but if you look at any of the the, the cartoon streaming sites, yeah, Kiss Cartoons and that sort of stuff, you can watch them illegally. The quality of the stuff that's online is not great, but then it is a 1980s cartoon, so it was never you know HD 1080p or anything like that. But nostalgia-wise, I really enjoyed going back and having another look at it. Yeah, I like I said, I didn't really have a nostalgia for it, but um, in watching it, I was like, I kind of want more. And you can, like you said, there are there is on demand, and I think there is much better quality out there through legitimate means if you want to pay for it but yeah but it has it has been released on blu-ray yeah so there is a better quality version out there but you just you, you you'll have to pay for it yes which you know it's fine if it's your thing go do it support them yes so anyway if you have any feedback for us if you want to jump online and tell us who your favorite character was i was always a, a bit of a thunder himself as my favorite character i i didn't look up Princess Ariola cosplay at all? No, nothing. No, no, no. no that was someone that else. Someone else got on okay. my computer and did that. No, of course they did. But uh, yeah, if you want to jump online, tell us what your favorite episode was. Tell us who your favorite character was. You can find us on our Facebook. We are facebook.com slash the mess of attack podcast. You can find us on Twitter as the MA podcast. You can always find us on our website, which is the MA podcast.podbean.com. And until next time, when we meet again, Mitch, thank you very much. Thank you. And bye-bye. bye Thundar the Barbarian The year 1994 From out of space comes a runaway planet Hurtling between the Earth and the Moon Unleashing cosmic destruction Man's civilization is cast in ruin 2,000 years later, Earth is reborn a strange new world rises from the old. A world of savagery, super science, and sorcery. But one man bursts his bonds to fight for justice. With his companions, Ukla the Mock and Princess Ariel, he pits his strength, his courage, and his fabulous sun sword against the forces of evil. 